This is the Lean Discovery Applied Podcast with Clinton Sanko, Baker Donaldson's e-discovery officer. In season one of Sitting with the C-Suite, Clinton and guests will explore the e-discovery industry's past, present, and future, largely through the eyes of the executives responsible for the technology and services underlying virtually every e-discovery project. Hello, I'm Clinton Sanko, and welcome to the Lean Discovery Applied series, Sitting with the C-Suite, where we are committed to unraveling e-discovery one interview at a time. Today, we are joined by Andy McDonald, the CEO of Concilio, a company he has grown into one of the largest global managed services companies in the world. Join me in welcoming Andy to the show. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So Andy, why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about Concilio and the scope of its services and technology that it provides. Concilio, it's a pretty simple story. Concilio is a global legal services, principally e-discovery services provider uh, that operates in 11 countries across the globe, end-to-end servicing in the e-discovery space from consulting uh, around products to forensic collections, processing, hosting of data, a full suite of data scientists to dig in on an analytic standpoint. And then obviously we do document review, production services, you name it all the way through. And I think the thing that we hope sets us a little bit apart is that we we provide these services across multiple jurisdictions and time zones, but we, we our view is, is we deliver the same service and the same product wherever you uh, happen to be with us. Andy, in August 18th, 2020, in a quote to Street Insider, you noted that Concilio has done a really good job weathering the pandemic, even going so far as to say that you haven't had to lay off or furlough a single employee along the way, and in fact have actually added positions during this during this pandemic. These are obviously not normal times that we're living in. How has Concilio done so well managing through this global crisis? And how are you doing personally as well as professionally as a leader during this time? On a personal level, look, after the initial shock of, of going remote and being in a completely different world, it's been pretty cool, uh, honestly, to have time to spend with my my kids, my family. I this, my wife and I have spent more time together now than we've ever in the twenty years that, that I've known her. Uh, I was never at home for five months ever. Uh, my daughter, who was in college in Paris, came back, and that was a you know again it was a little bonus. I never thought that we would have spent six months together uh, at this stage in her life, and her two younger uh, siblings really appreciated it as well. So on a personal level, it's actually been okay. And I think because the business has been going well um, and on, on the, the professional level, we've been very fortunate. We set out of the gate uh, right at the beginning of, 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 of sort of realizing that things were going to be different, that our two priorities were going to be the health and safety, the full employment of our employees. And that was critical. We felt like if we could do those two things, we'd be sort of making a real contribution to the world around us because I was really worried about where unemployment would go and what would happen. And immediately uh, after saying that to our employees, I started calling our clients and, and really letting them know that the most important part of our relationship going forward was going to be their consistent payment of bills. And it wasn't that that was a, that they weren't going to pay bills, but we just said, look, to make this all work, people need to keep the money flowing through the system. And we were met with pretty, um, I mean, it was, it was actually very enjoyable conversations because people got it. The thought being, um, if, as long as money's coming in and we can pay our employees, at least this, this corner of the economy is going to continue to operate, which is beneficial to everybody. 
And I think the fact is we've, we've been very lucky that we have clients who were in industries that weren't severely or at all impacted. And so, and that is, you know, there, there's some design to that, but there's also some luck. I realized that, that there are some folks who have clients where they're still probably uh, either closed or running at a very uh, diminished capacity. Sandy, I want to start by going back 10 years. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to kick this back to 2010. You're the CEO of First Advantage, which is a publicly listed $800 million global provider of risk mitigation and business solutions. So on the Legal Binge podcast, which you did in April 2019, I think from Legal Tech, you noted that you had grown First Advantage through about 60 acquisitions in five years. So that gave you a taste at First Advantage of what it was like to acquire and integrate these different companies into a cohesive whole. In that same time frame, so we're looking at 2009-2010, First Advantage goes through several deals. The first in October of 2009, it was acquired by the First American Corporation. And then in December of 2010, there was a subsequent sale um, and Symphony Technology Group uh, spun out uh, a portion of that company and you went with that with that portion. So then in February of 2013, you uh, rebrand First Advantage Litigation Consulting into Concilio, the modern company that we know here today. Tell us that story of how you got engaged with legal services as part of that in terms of managed services, e-discovery services, and how, just walk us through those couple of years from your vantage point in terms of identifying this as a, as a marketplace that you were going to really attack in a more systematic and focused way. Absolutely. Look, First Advantage was a fun story for everyone that was part of it. It was really around from 2003 until the acquisition by First American in 2010. We knew coming in that First American and, and subsequently was really CoreLogic, which was a unit of First American, want all of the assets of First Advantage. There was, they, they wanted the real estate related assets and the credit related assets. That left some, a collection of stuff. The largest piece of that collection being an HR services business, which was doing background screening, employee assessments, uh, drug testing and, and the like. Uh, so we partnered with Symphony and Basically, we knew that to take that business, the big one, we would have to take everything else that uh, First American didn't want. We took a marketing services firm and a legal consulting business, uh, neither of which were materially uh, significant at the time. And the plan was was to go out and consolidate the HR, uh, continue to consolidate the HR uh, services space and did a couple of deals very quickly with Symphony and then began to sit back and say, what else do we have here? And it was in that period that we spent a lot of time looking at First Advantage Litigation Consulting, which was you know, roughly a $20 million a year business uh, that had been forever a, a neglected asset in a large organization. But the business was operating in a, in a global market that was growing dramatically where we couldn't see anyone who had appreciable market share. And most significantly, when we, we tried to dig in on sort of what I would call you know, client satisfaction scores, it was all negative. It was like, wait a minute, the market's growing, no one has a share, and the clients seem to hate all the providers. This seems like an opportunity to come in and at the very least suck less than everyone else. It, the bar wasn't high. And so we put together a strategy that was going to focus both on organic growth, but equally important was going to be inorganic growth through acquisition and spent, I would say, the bulk of 2013 and, and into 2015 meeting with every possible person who might 
acquisition target, laying out a strategy and moving in that direction. And it was a ton of fun, by the way. At the time of the 2000, the February 2013 announcement of the Concilio rebrand, you noted that the name Concilio highlighted the importance of consulting from your first advantage litigation consulting space. And you said, which spoke to, quote, superior project management, broad global reach, problem solving expertise, and a team-based approach to client support. And just as a footnote to that quote, Andy, I mean, that just describes what e-discovery need, has needed for 10 years, right? I mean, that's what, it, that's what it's always needed. So you're pretty prescient with that, with that quote. But if I was talking to you back then in 2013, and I was talking to that version of Andy McDonald, and I said, hey, we're off the record, Andy. What's one major challenge that you see to what you want to do? And this, what do you see as the, as the major opportunity? What would have been the 2013 version of Andy McDonald's answer to that? It's very consistent because you can ask the 2020, you'll get the same answer. It's capital. It was really finding capital to, to deploy. And this is a this is a market that I think is hard for people from the investment community to understand. And therefore, there's there's a lot of interest, but there's a lot. But most of that interest falls by the wayside as folks dig in and they they see how the service is delivered. They see that it's not recurring, that it's hard to, to predict it. And so my, my biggest concern then and now is always. Uh, there will continue to be opportunities. Will we be able to access the capital markets to, to continue to do these deals? And we've been fortunate thus far that we've, we've, we've found some great partners that have backed us. But I will tell you, the list is long and distinguished of people that we've talked to who said, hey, we love you, Andy. We love this company. But uh, this market is sort of, it's not, we're not, in, it's an existential issue, issue and we're out. So, so it's interesting as I look at at the two major recaps that you've had that both were coupled with major acquisitions, one of which was relatively surprising, which we'll get to here in a minute. But in August of 2015, Symphony Technology Group sold their interest in Concilio to Shamrock Capital. So later that same year, you went out and made two significant purchases. One was the UK-based proven legal technologies. The other was the US-based Huron Legal, uh, which, which was done roughly at the same time. You said in a blog uh, that clients would see in 2016, you take the strengths of these various entities and tightly weave them into one unified global services delivery organization. So here you are, five years after coming out of the first advantage CEO role, what gave you the confidence at that point in time in this huge redefining moment in the e-discovery space that you could pull that off, that you could make these companies work together? I don't know that I was terribly confident, uh, but we saw opportunity and we, and we went for it. And we thought, look, the, at first advantage, doing a lot of acquisitions, we learned a lot. The whole team there did. It, it, at the beginning, we were buying companies. That, you know, if you do the math, it's almost like one a month. And integrating the businesses was as much as giving people a new business card and going on. And we never really got down to dealing with the hard part of the people. Because I will say, I was not confident, although I know I, we knew that we had learned our lessons. Um, we were hopeful that if we created an opportunity to listen and be heard, that they would see that that they that they had a chance to contribute. More importantly, the the sort of the I would say the DNA at Concilio, as I mentioned before, it had been part of first advantage. It was it was the ignored part of first advantage. And so there was a chip on the shoulder. Huron 
legal was the sort of the the unwanted asset at Huron. And so they had it. They couldn't believe that the Huron Corporation wanted to sell them. And proven legal was an unwanted asset of the company called Free in, in the UK. So there, were, there was some common element of people were like, uh, we're sick and tired of being the, the guy that no one wants. And we played on that pretty, um, pretty dramatically during the integration efforts. And we're, we're this, we want you here and we want you to be part of this. Looking back at that deal today, Andy, did, did it portend anything about what was going to start happening in the e-discovery industry in general? I know we've seen a bunch of consolidation. Do you see that as, as this moment that was forecasting where the industry was going to go? I wouldn't say that um, only because there were other companies out doing the same time. What it confirmed for me was our original investment thesis back from back in 2012, 13, when we decided, you know, I, from my end, it was going to, I'm going to step away from first advantage and focus on the small business because I think there's real upside. And it, the big deal that we've learned and, and continue to be uh, affirmed every time we do an acquisition is companies operating ex at scale have a significant advantage over those that aren't. It doesn't mean they always take advantage of that advantage, but my perspective, we have such scale that it allows us to invest in technology. It allows us to invest in a lot of things that someone at a smaller size just can't do, and they have to think of different ways to keep up. Um, but getting big, look, the bigger you get, the bigger you get. It just sort of, it, there, there's a self, sort of an element of momentum that goes along with this. As long as we can continue to operate and do this in an efficient way and, and not lose sight of the fact that we can't just rest on our laurels. So from my end, it was it was as much about a, a reaffirmation of what our, our initial thesis was. Flashing forward three years, your second major recap and your current owner, Baji, which is GI Partners. And at the same time, GI Partners also purchases Advanced Discovery and combines the two companies under your leadership, creating what was determined at the time to be the number two global leader with a combined company of 2,500 employees operating in 11 countries with 60 locations. And then here's the surprising part. Not having enough, apparently, Andy McDonald goes out and purchases Discover Ready in October of 2018. So it within, within six or seven months, you're back at the market buying another major company, one that most people in the discovery industry have heard of, would recognize they very well branded, uh, would know Discover Ready. So as you, as you look at this now over two years later, what were the key challenges of that time as you took on this new, uh, this new capital from GI Partners and, and combined these two new entities into Concilio? Each of the recaps have been on sort of the precipice of, of acquisitions. And it was we would ha had reached a point with our current partners where they were constrained by fund dynamics or interest from investing more. And so we, we knew that we wanted to continue our mission. So in both cases, it, it creates opportunities, uh, but it also creates challenges from a relationship standpoint with new partners. But when we were looking at advanced discovery, we were in there. We knew GI was in there. Um, and... We had heard that they liked the business, but it wasn't big enough. So I reached out to them and through a mutual friend, we had a, a meeting. We said, why don't we combine our bids here? And it was it was a thrilling opportunity to do that and prevail. Uh, the Discover Ready acquisition, I had actually met with the leadership team there as, as early as 2014 about acquiring them. Loved that company, loved the team. And it just it just wasn't it wasn't available uh, at the time. 
And so I probably wouldn't have chased set two big deals in such a quick time. But honestly, it came on the market. And and I, I talked to the GI guys. Just, we have to do this. Uh, it's it's going to create a lot of work and a lot of pain, but the, the results will be well worth it. So I would say we spent the majority of 2019. We had <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. We had seven billing systems, five different HR systems, 22 comp plans benefit systems all over the place and we had no coherent go-to-market strategy and that that was this our 2019 was inward and it was complete uh it was complete chaos at times but we tried to do from an integration standpoint and the way i think about it is and we say this every time we do it we're going to above all do no harm no unwanted client or employee attrition and there's some clients that that might be better if they leave even there's some employees that it might be better if they leave but our view was we didn't want to lose them. And so we, we sort of locked our arms around the clients and the employees and we buckled down for what was a really, man, 2019 was heavy lifting um, in, in a way that I sort of experienced for a while, but, but coming out sort of, it, I'd say October, November of, of last year, we really started to feel good about ourselves and had a whole new go-to-market strategy, had everyone on a single comp plan, a single payroll system, a single network. It, it was fun. I tell you what, it felt, that felt really good. So I wish I had time, Andy, to walk through each of these companies and what you saw in them, what you thought was was fascinating, why you thought they were a good fit. But I'm going to have to do this through a lightning round because you guys have just been been too busy for us to have the time to do that. So for each of these entities that I'm going to uh, give you that were acquired under your leadership into Concilio and merged and integrated into Concilio, Give me one word that briefly describes them to you that best summarizes what you saw as the key synergy or possibility of that acquisition. And then if you need to, you can feel free to give an explanation. So the first one is uh, proven legal technologies. We, we at the time had no relativity experience. We were running on proprietary software and we felt like we really needed to make that move, but we did not want to get off. Uh, we didn't want to just go license it and learn it. Uh, they were the first uh, installed base of relativity in Europe and had been sort of great partners with Andrew Sage and the team for really since the inception. So we just we felt like that was a real benefit to us. Huron Legal. That was a great company. We never thought we would prevail. They were twice our size and we were coming at them uh, as scrappy little guys. And when we when we found out that we won, we were we were as surprised probably as they were looking at us saying, how can these small guys be acquiring us? But it was a great look. We were in the big time all of a sudden. We had technology that we had never dreamed of. We had experience that we could only hope for. And a team that was, again, came in with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and were thrilled to be part of a e-discovery company. Backstop. Analytics. Backstop was two employees and it was a, they had built an analytic engine. And in our view, a lot of the analytic companies were going to be acquired and, and potentially uh, hard to uh, tap into their services. We were a content analyst shop and we, and we had acquired an, uh, Backstop of saying we need to build out our own analytics offering if we're going to uh, be in a position to uh, control our own destiny. EQD? Texas. These guys were, uh, we, we love the oil and gas industry. It's, again, it's a market that I think presence is important and they had great presence and had been there for quite some time. And they were the, all in all, it was just a bunch of good guys too. Advanced Discovery, along with its uh, companies, Altep, Milnet, and Legal Placements. This is scale. This was all about scale. We realize now that you know we, we were able in, with this with the 
opportunity to close. I think it was six data centers. There was savings and scale that we could not have dreamed of as we did that particular deal. And, and incremental uh, capacity in the UK, which they had, was wonderful. Uh, but scale was the big driver in our mind of why we wanted to do this deal. And lastly, Discover Ready. I'm going to say clients. This is a, Discover Ready, as you said, was a great brand. Been around forever. Had in my mind had always I always thought of them as providing some of the best service out there. Corporate wise, they had been through some troubles. They were part of Dolan Media, went through a bankruptcy, went through a restructuring. Their business was always fine, but it, it created um, it created noise, and they were able to retain all of their clients through a couple of different uh, unforced errors uh, by by their parents. Um, I thought was great and. It was, it was a group of clients that we had tried to pitch for years and years with no success. So we were thrilled to be in a position to, to meet with and continue to provide services to their client base. Andy, you kind of foretold this next question when you talked about 2019 and your integration. But in 2018, you talked to Legal Technology about the Discover Ready acquisition. But that interview was actually much more about integration. You made the comment that acquisition was somewhat easy, but integrating the companies was where the real heavy lift came in. And you noted that at Concilio, we have what you called an integration management office that was staffed by a team that is compensated not on the legal side, but actually on the integration. Looking back at the last seven years and these major integration and acquisition efforts that you've had, how do you continue to have success integrating so many disparate companies with diverse backgrounds, diverse cultures, uh, different locations into a larger cohesive whole and maintaining a consistent level of client service as you do that? Back to the first advantage days, this is the hardest part of in putting companies together. And I tend to think a lot of people hit the hard part and they stop. And the hard part is having the discussions about the fact hey, your culture was that, our culture is this. This was your workflow, this is our workflow. What we don't do is say it's our way or the highway. We say we are gonna make room for others and their ideas, but we will make decisions. And once we make those decisions, we announce it to the organization. And I'm pretty upfront with everyone. And in, in every town hall we have and every uh, small group meeting I have, I remind people if they're unhappy, they should leave. And they should leave and we'll help them leave because it, it's, best interest to have folks that want to be here if we're going to deliver a good level of service. At the same time, if people leave and want to come back, we're generally welcome them back. It's, it's actually, it's a, it's, a nice, uh, it's a nice thing to have happen. We have shirts that are green. They sit in the closet and you wear it when you come back and it says the grass is greener here. But part of the integration effort is, is to make the decisions, communicate the decisions, allow for people to be unhappy, and then decide if they're going to stay or not stay and move on. Um, and I look around this industry and I look at a lot of industries where integrations go halfway, but they don't have that conversation. And then you have maybe differing views on what the go to market strategy is, differing views on compensation, uh, clicks that get formed based on, oh, I come from this organization. We're going to still do it this way. And my view is we just have to stamp that out as quickly as possible. And the nice thing is, is that every single person that works here, not every person, but let's say 80% of our employee population has been acquired. They know what it feels like, both to be on the, the acquired side and the acquiree side. So I think they create room uh, for others, as I said earlier. 
So you talked about your analysis that you did a decade ago of the e-discovery space and the opportunity that you saw to consolidate and create uh, economies of scale. What's the current status of the consolidation of the e-discovery market from your standpoint? And have you seen any slowness result as a result of the COVID pandemic? It's ongoing. And I, I think certainly the COVID pandemic slowed things down. I do think uh, it's just a slowdown. And I tend to think that there'll be some opportunities that are created because of COVID or a probably accelerated M&A in 2021. So Concilio has what I would call a demonstrated approach and commitment to client experience and employee experience. And I say demonstrated because in January 2017, uh, before this, so this would have been before your advanced discovery and discover ready acquisitions, you actually created a new role uh, for managing director of client experience and you hired Amy Hinsman into that role and she joined the company to do that. Then recently you promoted Amy to chief experience officer where she not only has responsibility around the client service, but now she leads uh, every aspect of employee onboarding, training and career development, human resources. She runs the gamut on that for your organization. What's the vision of this focus on experience and Amy's role in particular as you, uh, from your standpoint, from the, from the uh, client's perspective as a value proposition of Concilio? This is, this, is all, this is what we're all about. And in fact, Amy, I think that press release was in January of 17, but Amy joined us in, in the summer of 2016, right after we did the Huron acquisition. And the thought process in my mind is if we don't if we don't have a view on what our clients what their life is like what their experience is like it's going to be hard for us to deliver something that's going to make them feel uh, as though they have a relationship with us amy's background was unique she had been a, a, a corporate litigator she was in-house at, at merrill lynch she had worked at discover ready so she knew the discovery industry so understood the in-house uh, legal department understood outside counsel understood e-discovery and, you know, I, what I said to her the first day, I said, what I'd like you to do is, is storyboard a day in the life of our client from they wake up to the time they go to bed. And then where do they interact with Concilio? And what are those interactions like? And what can we do to actually make their life a little bit better? And if we can do one or two things, it's less about how quickly we respond to an email and how quickly or how, you know, how, how, how delayed the production might be. It's much more about the experience. And, and it's been a great effort that has yielded wonderful results. The, the feedback uh, that we get when we walk into a meeting with uh, Amy dropping a card as the client experience officer, they're like, wow, that's your, what, what does that mean? And the sales guys sometimes get upset because they want to talk about the experience more than they want to talk about our products. I'll tell you, um, even as we were sort of looking at, at COVID and our response, and we went from being fully employed in offices to being fully remote in a three-day period, um, we were worried about what is our client our client experience going to be like. And and so Amy co-chaired with one other person, our COVID response team. He says, we need to make sure that we're thinking about the, the client experience. And what we really, throughout this COVID response era, we said, wow, we're now working at home. We're unlikely to get back anytime soon. Um, so traditional HR's role has to change. It's less it's less and less about what goes on in the office and how we do things. And it's much more about how do we create opportunities for our employees to feel like they're having a good experience. And we thought of it. And it was young parents 
had to be treated a little bit differently than people like maybe you and I, whose kids are taking care of themselves. And so we, we said it would be it would be disingenuous to schedule meetings all the time when these young parents are dealing with their kids. So we said we, we need to be sensitive to that. And as we sort of continued down the line, it dawned on me, and it probably should have happened uh, two years ago, it just didn't, is that the employee's experience is so critical to delivering a good client experience. Um, and so we made the decision that it's that from our perspective, we're moving forward with, with sort of this new world. And, and we've begun to talk to HR leaders and, and a bunch of different thought folks. And, and I've said, we're not going to change. Even if, even if the world goes back to semi-normal, we're headed down this path of, of, of thinking about our employees and their experience every day and what we can do to create a, a positive experience in their life, which will help them uh, help us deliver the positive experience to our client. Andy, I want to talk a little bit about your proprietary e-discovery tool that you have at Concilio that is branded as Sightline, which notes it's ideally suited for self-service work on smaller matters. And the 6.1 release of that earlier this year in April uh, was designed around facilitating efficiency and cost savings, including ease of use around the management of projects within Sightline, uh, things around uh, incorporating and, and loading in text messages and other types of IMs in order to have those render to users in a really usable way and understandable way. What, what was it um, that made you jump into the deep waters of development, software development specifically, uh, and invest in that for your own proprietary tool? Like what, what was the impetus for that, that creation of that tool? Well, if you, as, as I think I mentioned earlier, back in the days of First Advantage, we did not use Relativity. In fact, our first time Concilio Relativity operation was, was with the um, uh, proven legal uh, acquisition and then here on on its heels. So we had built a business revenue that was not using relativity and, and we felt and still continue to feel that there's a portion of the market that wants something a little bit different. So we had made the investment. Uh, we, were, we were certain that, that the opportunity to become a relativity provider was, was critical to us. So we, that was great. Continued on. We, we, after the Huron deal, it gave us an opportunity to pause and says, "Hey, let's let's rebuild uh, Sightline from the ground up. We're, we're now we've got two Relativity op offerings. We're going to consolidate those. Let's do entirely Relativity for the next um, year. We'll rebuild this platform and see where it goes." The thought process was again serve those clients that that liked what they had in that offering. From my perspective, um, we to do it because we we see markets. We see opportunity to serve markets that, that otherwise would be out of reach to us. I noted in the April 2020 press release that you got that that Concilio was re really seeing the COVID pandemic cause uncertainty and a real interest in self-service e-discovery and seeking savings. And I noticed that the Sightline tool is part of Concilio's self-service business unit, which was designed to support clients that are hungry for usability and supportability. Tell us about this self-service business unit and the impetus behind that team, which it appeared to me that that had already been, been in place long before the COVID pandemic, uh, you know, caused the, the increased pressures on clients. 
Uh, we, we launched the self-service business unit team in, in I, I want to say, Q1 of 2019. And Concilio has been purpose-built to serve global complex organizations. And as we've acquired companies, there's a, a small number of, of their clients fit that bit. A lot of them are, are small one-off organizations where their discovery spend is less than you know, $50,000 a year. They don't, that, that client doesn't necessarily fit into the workflow that we built, which is this large global complex thing where we're about, um, uh, about response times, about do I have the same project manager every day? No, you don't. We're much more like a factory. And so what we thought was, is we have this and we have a portion of the market that we just, we don't serve. That doesn't fit in our, in our way of doing things. Let's create a business unit focused on people doing it themselves. It's also a business that's it's hard for us to, to have salespeople calling on. So we said, how do, how do we attract them to us? It's a lot of web marketing, that type of thing. But I still call it self-service with an asterisk, which is nice because organizations who maybe you're doing small matters, a small employment matter, they want to do it themselves. But if it, it turns bigger, they have a service organization behind them and they can hit the easy button and we, we can bring a team of one to however many they need on, on, on staff to help them finish it. So if it grows and expands or if they want to take a vacation, there's resources here. It's rare that I get to ask a feel-good story in the context of the COVID pandemic and e-discovery competition, right? But that's that's my next question is actually a feel-good story. So in March of 2020, just a few weeks into the COVID pandemic, Concilio partnered with KLD, which is a global competitor. You both are global uh, e-discovery managed service companies to announce that you were offering complete on-site collections within the company's geographic footprints for the benefit of your clients in the wake of the pandemic, which allowed the 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 employees of both companies to do collections so there was less travel to keep the employees safe, to keep the clients safe. And the purpose was to leverage this joint geographic footprint in a new way. So you and Chris Weiler, who I interviewed a, a few month ago, a months ago, get together and also, also encourage participation by others in that initiative. Tell me from your side, the impetus around this and how you and Chris got together so quickly to create this, create this program under time of extreme duress, really. I, I'll take a step back. I've known Chris for a long time. We're both in the D.C. area. And, we, and I like Chris. I assume he likes me, too. But I'd say we're, we're pretty good friends. I'm not going to take any credit for this. He called me and he said, hey, man, things could get hot here. We, we should contemplate what's going to happen if we can't collect data. Because if we can't collect data, um, we're not going to be able to stay you know, we're not going to be able to keep our people fully employed. And if we if we do it the way we're doing it now, it's going to be hard to keep them well and safe. So it was a, it was his idea, 100 percent. I took it to my team. And within 20 minutes, you, the excitement was pretty high. We fleshed out the plan within 24 hours and and had it set up. Um, and there were a few people in my organization that says, wait a minute, wait, are we going to how come we're going to help a competitor? And I said, well, yeah, but they're going to help us, too. And that was the spirit that we did it, that we agreed that we were not going to do anything other than collect data. We weren't going to use that as an opportunity to try to um, influence buyer behavior. And if there were potential conflicts where a person felt like if it were a company that maybe we were trying to win business from, we would work that out as well. Uh, but that was that was built on personal trust and personal friendship and Chris's great idea.
Andy, in March of 2018, there was an article in Market Screener that reported that Consilio had become the first company to achieve relativity orange level best in service designation for both its European data center as well as in the United States. At that time, you said that this exemplifies our ongoing commitment to service excellence for our clients in any geography. As you survey the e-discovery marketplace, how do you continue to find ways, both objective like that and subjective, to make Concilio stand out in the market uh, su such that you can continue to grow organically uh, your, your client base and your client service efforts? We listen, and I think that that's part of the, the whole focus on the client experience. Clients and, and corporate relationships and law a chance to be heard and feel what causes their pain, it allows us to sort of deploy resources to solve that. Internally, we, we, we consistently say, well, I care about three things. I care about growth, a world-class service, and the relentless pursuit of operating efficiencies. And I, when people hear me say the last one, they get nervous. They think that's cost-cutting, and it's really not. It's about how do we do things easier? How do we make things easier? How do we, how do we remove friction? And if we can do that, Sometimes that yields a better experience for our clients. So it's it's chasing uh, uh, efficiencies that makes us easier to work with. Uh, but a lot of a lot of the big initiatives that we have internally that we're working on are client sponsored. They tell us what they'd like. Uh, we we create opportunities for them to do that in multiple different forums, and then we we pick the best ones and run with it. In two thousand and nineteen. Concilio joined a list of companies supporting the CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion pledge to advance diversity and inclusion in the workplace. You've noted that Concilio, as a managed service vendor, sits at the intersection of two industries, law and technology, in which, to use your words, individuals of diverse backgrounds historically have been underrepresented. Give us a flavor of Concilio's uh, concrete action steps in this regard as you address the need for diversity and inclusion under the CEO uh, Action for Diversity and Inclusion Pledge. I mentioned Amy's name earlier. This was a program that was uh, initially brought uh, to me by Amy Hensman and Meredith Kildow, our Chief Revenue Officer. They had attended a women in law event where the, the whole concept of diversity and inclusion within law firms was 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 prominently on, on discussion that came back they said we need to do this so in 2018 we launched a, a pilot study and, and launched our program uh, at the beginning of 2019. Uh, the keys for us were it was a participant driven program and it was a great moment uh, of where employees and client relationships are intertwined because we had our board staffed with employees who volunteered to do it and we had we had clients who volunteered to join our diversity and inclusion board as well um, so just the overall reaction was positive in terms of concrete examples we weren't really sure exactly where to to, to spend our time and, and we spent a lot of 2019 surveying people what was important what wasn't we created a number of uh, affinity groups where people had an opportunity to to share we we donated some money to some causes but we were getting our our um i guess we were getting our 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 wheels in motion, but we were we were taking it, it I don't wanna say slowly, but we just weren't exactly sure the best way to respond. Obviously, uh, what I think about is, is what's happened here. And the, the good thing from a standpoint, from Concilio's standpoint is uh, 
we had spent a year talking about it internally, a lot of issues, but when some of the recent events uh, popped up in the U.S., we, we, again, pulled our team and we created a, a sort of a, an affinity group that the team ultimately the Black Responsiveness Affinity Group, or BRAG. And it's an open forum for all Concilio employees of all backgrounds to discuss how Concilio can create meaningful changes in the Black community. The group meets on a regular basis. There's a book club that spun out of it. It's fascinating um, to sit through. And, and I think these and other types of affinity groups, particularly as we're remote, have created opportunities for our employees to interact in ways that, that just wouldn't be possible, given the fact that everyone's sitting in their kitchen table. I noticed, Andy, that another product that was offered by Concilia was a product called Sky Analytics, which is a really cool product that allows clients to look at their legal spend on a pretty granular level, but also to benchmark it pretty easily within the tool against other spend to, to look for areas of efficiency, to look for areas where maybe savings could be found. As you talk to legal departments about managing litigation specifically and e-discovery specifically, what are you hearing from legal departments, whether in the context of Sky Analytics or just in general, about how managed service vendors can do better to help them manage their spend, as well as what I think you've called in other interviews, evolved law firms, what evolved law firms, managed service vendors, how, how they can really partner with corporate legal uh, to address litigation spend and find ways for more savings and less waste. I'm going to use evolve word differently now. I think it's the evolution of the purchasing experience. And if I think back of when, even when we were just getting started of putting together this, this concept of Concilio, we noted that the market was dispersed, that there was quality was, was never something that anyone, any clients ever bragged about receiving. Um, and I think about how most organizations purchased e-discovery five or 10 years ago was, I'm gonna have multiple vendors for document review, and I'm gonna have multiple members, uh, vendors for processing and hosting and sort of the ESI component mainly because if they're bad, I put them on the penalty box or financially, I'm not sure how, if they're big enough to, if, if they, if they fall or they stumble, I have alternatives. And that, you know, I, I get how that happened. And then we started buying companies as others did. And we said, okay, we're not just a, a document review company or we're not just a ESI company. We do everything that, that began to bring the process together where people saw, Hey, having one company do it all, it goes a little easier. Uh, and there's some cost savings that come with that because I don't have to have people on the phone all the time. I don't have to worry about uptimes on someone's servers for these people to do their review. Um, I think about what's happening now is it continues to evolve where it's like, why do I need six vendors? Does it work better if I can have one vendor who does it all? I can get savings because I can negotiate better pricing. I get a dedicated team who can work on my business so they understand my needs. Um, so that's what we're, we're seeing now is more and more organizations go from this old way of multiple vendors for everything to maybe a panel of vendors now to saying, I've got a company with financial security. I'm not worried about that. And if I, if I can negotiate better terms, I can save money and I can have the team that I want working on my projects full time. If you were sitting down with a general counsel discussing their litigation management and e-discovery management, and they were to look at you and say, Andy, I'm looking out at the next six months. And I don't know necessarily where this is going, right? We have had deferments and slowness in certain matters. So I want to be able to turn off the tap 
if that if that happens again. But I also want to be spring loaded to be ready if things actually really heat up and the courts start to really want to catch up. And I want to be able to still leverage the savings of my my spend, my portfolio. How do I how do I position my company for this time of uncertainty in terms of how I engage with my with my managed service vendors and how I engage my e-discovery services? What would what would be your answer to that to that question? Sure. We're, that, we're getting that question a lot. We have been for the past six months. And I think the, the answer that we deliver in, in the way we see it going is long-term committed relationships, level of flexibility as well as predictability and spend. We have clients that they have now committed that we are the, 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 their partner of choice. We will do all of their work. They know exactly what team they're going to have. And we can flex up and flex down. And We've had some folks say, hey, we're going pencils down for a month, not because anything about the sort of the docket load, but it's more about cash flow. There's some companies that have been impacted and they said, we're just going to delay as long as we can. And we've been able to ride that with them and having a ship with, with a partner like Concilio or anyone else who provides this type of thing, I think is, is important because we're more than happy to scale up or scale down as long as we know that there is something that's going to come back on our end. Um, and, and the way that we view these relationships are is I don't need to make my money right now. I can delay it, too, because we see where this is going. Um, but understanding how they want the relationship to go is important for us in terms of keeping their team and their uh, and their their sort of their workflows intact. I have three consistent questions that are more in the in the fast fire realm. Who is a business leader? Uh, current or past that you admire and what are the particular qualities about them that you admire? Well, wow, that's a great question. You know, I'm going to say Bill Gates, but look, he, he's a problem solver. He's an inventor and most importantly, he's a giver. And those are three things that I aspire to be every single day. What's the last podcast you listen to, even if it's a guilty pleasure? <laughs> I'm a sports radio guy. So my wife hates that. So uh, we typically get to do podcasts when we're driving together and she wins the argument. Uh, but I just listened to one that I'd never heard. It was a guy named Adam Graham, a psychologist from Wharton, and it was how songs can fix remote work, and it was fascinating. And he's got a whole series of podcasts on on the workplace, and and I'm going to go back and listen to more because I think his motto is is work shouldn't suck, and <laughs> I, I tend to agree with that. What's the last book you read, fiction or nonfiction, that you would recommend to our listeners since you just couldn't put it down? Barbarian Days by William Finnegan. It's a it's a great it's a great surfing uh, novel. It was basically a his, his biography of his of his chasing waves across the globe. I don't surf. I'd love to surf, and uh, but I, I this book was thrilling to read, and I've, I've passed it on to many people who love it. Well, Andy, I really appreciate you joining the show today, and this has been a lot of fun to talk through your past and your present and where Concilio is going. This has been great. I, I thank you for the time, Clint. It's been enjoyable, and I hope. Uh, we get a chance to speak again in the future. Thanks for joining us on the Lean Discovery Applied Podcast, Season 1, Sitting with the C-Suite. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. You can also visit us online at www.leandiscoveryblog.com where we have additional content and videos of the interviews. Lean Discovery Applied is hosted by Clinton Sanko, eDiscovery Officer of Baker Donaldson. This program is not intended as an endorsement and does not constitute legal advice.
Thanks to Baker Donaldson, a leader in innovative legal services, for supporting this podcast. To the guests and to you, the listener. See you next time.